you want to learn about multifamily investing, but you just don't know where to start, you think you're too new, you think it's too overwhelming, well, I have the event for you. It's called Multifamily Live, and it's happening this June 10th, 11th, and 12th, a three-day event. And best of all, guys, it's virtual. You don't have to worry about, can I shake hands? Do I have to get on a plane? What's it mean? Am I afraid of COVID? None of that stuff. It's virtual. You can do it from your home. It's a three-day event, and this event is really about teaching you how to invest in multifamily real estate. They want you to know how to achieve the, quote, quit your job passive income, right, by investing in large multifamily properties. Even if you're a new investor or if you're an experienced investor and you want to get into multifamily, this is the event you cannot miss. Guys, go and get your tickets now before they're gone. It's June 11th, I'm sorry, June 10th, 11th, and 12th this coming June. It's going to be amazing. I know the folks putting this on. I have talked to all of them. I know about their businesses. These are the smartest multifamily people in the nation. You must go get your tickets if you're interested in multifamily live before before the ticket prices go up. As it gets closer to the event, it's going to go up. Here's how you get them. Go to bestrealestateevent.com. That's bestrealestateevent.com. Go check it out. Even if you're not sure, just go to the site. Check it out. See if it looks like it's for you and grab your tickets now. All right, guys, let's get on to it. I think right after my dad died, I had this massive commitment to find mentors. I had no dad. I had no uh, older brother that lived with me. My, my older brother, one of them had died from leukemia, which oh, is another wow. story. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me on the show today. I appreciate you being here. If you're new, thank you for joining me. Thank you for giving me a shot. If you are a returning listener, thanks for coming back. I appreciate it. All right, we have a good one for you today. I am excited to bring this interview to you. This is a heavy hitter. He is a lifelong entrepreneur, number one best-selling author, and TEDx speaker. He has founded more than 20 companies, taken nine public and led 17 corporate turnarounds and completed capital raises for over 30 companies. He founded 100yearrei.com, and he talks about that a little bit. It's a very uh, interesting and very cool uh, service and source of information that he gives you and a way of thinking about how to think long term. And I, I'm really excited to bring this guy to you. He's been around and he's, he's kind of been there, done that. He's talked to a lot of interesting, high, high, high power people and had a chance to spend time with him and he shares that wisdom. So I give you without any further ado, Rick Sapio. Hey, Rick, thank you for doing this. Thanks for being on the show and welcome to Just Start Real Estate. Hey, thanks, Mike. You're welcome. And I appreciate the invite, actually. Absolutely. And this is fun. I was on your show. We had a good time. Uh, and, and now you've been kind enough to reciprocate. And so we can really get extract the knowledge and the experience from you that you have. And I, I think this is going to be good for my listeners. And there's a lot of good stuff to take from this. So I'm excited to dive in. But can we give folks a little sense of who you are, your background, why you are doing what you're doing? Let's just kind of build that story up a little bit if we could so people understand where you come from. Yeah, I think it goes all the way back to the beginning. And I, I often say that uh, I've got four young kids and parents spend so much time these days putting pillows 
underneath their children's butt in the in the event that they fall down, yeah. just so their butts don't touch the ground. And uh, I'm the seventh of nine children. And when I was uh, a kid, my mother uh, had a nervous breakdown that she never recovered from. Wow. And so I never really had uh, a mom to talk to my whole life. She died about 11 years ago. But the big thing uh, for all of us in the family was the fact that when I was uh, 11, my dad came home from work. He was having a, a bad you know, time health-wise. So he went to the doctor and the doctor said, I got really bad news. You've got cancer throughout your body. And they, they gave him uh, six weeks to live. Wow. And put that in perspective, when he announced it to the family, we were like, uh, okay, so we have no money. Our mom is, you know, how she is. And long story short, uh, God gave us a gift. He, he, he kept my dad around for two and a half years. And during those two and a half years, he really taught us about how to be resourceful. And so when he died, when I was 13, uh, my whole life has been around about finding mentors and making something from nothing. And it's ironic, but all of my siblings and I are married and we've got over 270 years of marriage with no divorces wow. uh, from that childhood, which was complete and total chaos. <laughs> but I think if you instill in people, and I do it with my kids, values to make decisions from, you don't make as many mistakes. Because as you know, Mike, when you make a mistake, it sets you back five steps. And yeah. you know who you marry, who you partner with, who uh, you choose to do business with in all regards, who you hire, all of those decisions are, in my view, long-term decisions that you have to get right. Yep. And so my whole life has been around teaching people and living by the principle of values-based decision-making. And uh, so that could be one of the topics we talk about, but the values that I operate by in my company, which I've had for 27 years and uh, with my kids is we always say, I say it every day, multiple times a day, simplicity, probability, and leverage. Anything you do in life, you want to figure out how to make it simple as possible, how to increase the probability that you hit the stated objective, which means you have a stated objective. And lastly, how to leverage, which means uh, leveraging in all regards, whether it's your family or your business means doing things that, that are related to some existing technology, existing relationships, existing infrastructure, existing whatever. Yeah. But all too often, people are running around like a chicken with their head cut off. Let me try this. Let me try that. And they're wondering why they don't have the results. So simplicity, probability, and leverage are the operating values that I use in my personal life and in my business life. So what was the first business that you started? Where, where did your business uh, journey start? So, well, my first income was my mother would wake me up at 4.30 in the morning when I was in sixth grade to deliver the New York Daily News. And it teaches people to just, just overlay that. I'm 58. So this would have been 40, 45 years ago. Imagine kids today doing this. So the New York Daily News had 200 people on my route. Didn't matter if it was raining, if there was hurricanes, if there was ice on the ground. It had to be delivered before 5.30 in those days. And there was nobody watching me. And the only reason I got up, got up is my mother didn't sleep much. And she would pull the sheets back and say, get out of bed, you lazy son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, seven days a week. Now, there was no such thing as sick. There was no such thing as tired. There yeah. was no such thing as I don't want to. And 
that's completely gone with today's society. So that was my first reality check. And then at 13, my friend Chris and I uh, opened a bicycle shop. And uh, we would buy used bikes and we would put them back together at first. And I must have sold a couple of hundred bikes that way. But I learned how to deal with customers and how to fix things and how to be resourceful. And that evolved into uh, rebuilding cars and engines and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and all through college, I bought and sold cars. And I also worked as a bartender. And it's a funny story. Uh, I don't talk about it that often, but for a six year period, I bartended almost seven nights a week. So while my friends were out partying and spending money, I was at a bar making money. But I calculated at one time, and I think I'm pretty accurate. I think I have, have poured more than a million drinks. Because when you take a million, I'm sorry, uh, seven nights a week times six years and do the math in some of the busiest bars in New York City and New Jersey, it was a pretty cool experience. I learned how to deal with yeah. people. I learned sure. how to earn money. And when I was 23, I purchased three rental properties. And uh, at one point in those three houses, which we it was unique at the time, but it was such a pain in the ass to do uh, a group lease. So I bought uh, properties near Rutgers University where I went. I graduated from Rutgers uh, with an engineering degree in 1986. But uh, I did a lease by the person, which nobody did. So mm. you were able to get a lot more money if you charge 100 bucks a month per person or whatever. Yeah, and that was in the property, a per person in the property. So if there were three or four people living there, you charged per person. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah, because they would say, well, Mary didn't pay me, so I'm not paying you, and blah, blah, blah. So it was, uh, so that, that, that kind of gives you an idea. Interesting. So I, I get the the bar thing. You must have saw some crazy stuff, which is not really for this show, but but it must have been an interesting uh, it must have been an interesting six seven years there in the bar. I can imagine. So once you got out of there, you had your rental properties. I get that. Where did like business start to take off for you? Because I know you don't work in a bar still, obviously, right? You <laughs> did some things since then. What 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 was the thing? What was the business or the thing in your life that really made like you turn the corner? Where 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 did that happen for you? I think right after my dad died, I had this massive commitment to find mentors. I had no dad. I had no uh, older brother that lived with me. My my older brother, one of them had died from leukemia, which oh, is another wow. story. But my oldest brother was 11 years older than me when my dad died. And he was already married and had two kids and living in Ohio at the time. So I sought mentors. And my first mentor said to me, listen. I heard you're good at math and I know you're not thinking about college because you got to support your mom, but why don't you think about college? Why don't you become an engineer? And I'm like, what? An engineer? I didn't know, even know what he was talking about. And he said, if you get an engineering degree from a good school, you can be a doctor, you could be a lawyer, you could work on Wall Street, you could do whatever you want. It will train you how to think. And it was out of left field. And for all of you guys listening, you have no idea what one conversation can do yeah. if you're committed to somebody. I didn't talk to the guy again. He told me that. He took me to his engineering company. And I walked in and I was blown away by all the employees and the suits and ties and drafts people and all the. And anytime somebody asked me after that meeting, and I was 13, you know, what are you going to do with your life? I said, I don't know but I'm going to get an engineering degree because I could become a doctor or a lawyer. I could work on wall street. It will teach me how to think. And I must've repeated that a hundred times. So then again, you know, when you want something bad enough, 
Providence moves. And so I remember I was 18 and I get this letter in the mail. It says to Rick Sapio from Rutgers University. I'm like, what is this? Because I never really looked at the mail. It was always in a stack. And my mother or one of my five sisters dealt with it. But it kind of jumped out. And, I, and this is another story I rarely tell. I get kind of emotional about it because of how bizarre it is. I opened the letter and said, uh, Rutgers is giving out 10 engineering scholarships, and you're one of them. I'm like, whoa. And you know, I guess I'm going to college. And I'll never forget, I showed it to my mother, and she ripped the letter up. She goes, you're not going to college. You're getting a job. And it was weird. I almost had to... Uh, not officially, but just run away from home to go to college. And I'll never wow. forget my first day of school. It was um, in September. The, it was the Monday, I'm sorry, the Wednesday after Labor Day, 1982. And my mother goes, where are you going? And I said, I'm moving out. And I just moved out and went to college. And that was it. But what was cool is you asked me what my big break was and what was my opportunity. I told the backstory because this is where good fortune and you got to give you got to give blessings when they come. Rut, uh, Rutgers engineers were being hired by Wall Street, hmm. and so I got a really good job uh, offer. And at the job, like people go, "What are you doing?" So all through my twenties, I bought the bond. I worked for a team, a small Wall Street company that bought the bonds of bankrupt companies. Hmm. And so as a result of doing that in the late eighties and early nineties, I got to interact with all these people that were in that same space, people that you would know now, people yeah. like Warren Buffett and people like Carl Icahn and Leon Black and these names that I see in the paper all the time now. But <laughs> it was a it was an unbelievable experience. Wow. And as a result of that, I started my company, which uh, I still have twenty seven years later, which is a company that invests in all kinds of stuff, including that the type of product. Okay. So what, just for people who are listening, what is your company called? Mutual Capital Alliance. Okay. And Mutual Capital Alliance um, invests in all different kinds of things. It's not, it's not industry specific then. Well, we're a holding company, which I highly encourage everybody to do. People make one-off investments and then they're trying to collect their K-1s at the end of the year and all that. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe uh, when I went out and interviewed 44 billionaires over a 10-year period, I found that they all had a holding company. They make investments from an entity and they create value in that entity because of the collective value of the investments. Whereas most investors, they do this house in an LLC and that property in their name and that one in a company. And it's very bizarre. So for me, all my investing is done through my holding company, uh, which over time, the aggregate value of the investments have an additional value, which is the value of the brand. And so you think, you know, extreme example of that is uh, Richard Branson. Mm -hmm. And I got to spend four weeks with him. I got to know him really well. Uh, you know, Virgin has you know, 300, 400 holdings. I don't know the number, but then you've got the value of the brand. Yeah. And so you think, think Berkshire Hathaway, think any uh, large company that's kind of a conglomerate. So people can start today and create their own holding company and create value that way. Let me ask you a question. This is maybe just a little bit in the weeds, but I think people are, because of the, 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 the folks that we're talking to, are the ones that you're talking about that will buy a rental and put an LLC and then they'll, they'll flip houses in this LLC and whatever. The, the reason why I think people think that way and tell me where my, my logic is gap, where there's a gap here 
so you, you have this holding company and let's just say we're buying rentals, right? We're buying rentals, buying rentals. Everything in one company creates a lot of, of legal exposure is the thought process, right? Somebody slips and falls, kills himself in one of my properties. I have a hundred properties in this holding company. The holding company now has all this exposure of all these things. That's why people segregate into smaller LLCs and kind of spread out that risk a little bit. So when you have a holding company like that, does it not kind of put all the risk in that one basket? I'm so glad you asked that question. That's a great answer. Um, so if I were gonna, was going to do uh, flipping, for example, I can call it Rick Sapio Flipping Company, or I could call it World Domination House Rentals. And World Domination House Rentals will be a holding company. Let's say it's a C-Corp. I happen to like C-Corps, despite what lawyers and accountants say. And then that C-Corp, would have each one of those holdings in a separate LLC. Okay. Okay. So the LLC is owned by the C Corp, uh, not yep. by me personally. And that's the idea. But the other thing to keep in mind is I, you know, in our private equity business, we invest in companies. And over the years, one of the things that we see that we avoid like the plague is any company named after a person. And people get offended by that. And they're like, well, you know, what's wrong with me naming it after me? And there's so much that I can say about this. I'll just give you one quick story. A friend of mine owned a PR firm and said, I, they, they asked me for coaching. I said, I can't coach you. I can mentor you. I'll meet you once, once a month for six months. But I'm not going to meet you unless you take your name off the door. And she said, what are you talking about? Everybody knows my name in, in San Antonio. And we're the biggest company in San Antonio. I said, okay, fine. So a few months later, she called me back. I'm ready to meet. And I said, did you change the name of your company? And she literally broke down and cried. I'm not taking the name, my name off the door, blah, 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 blah. I said, here's the problem with your name on the door. It limits you time-wise because everybody only wants to meet with you. So you can't have good talent. No partner is going to join with you because they don't want to work for a company that's not their name. Yeah. So I told them the story about world domination PR. And long story short, this company had been, been in business for 14 years. They got to a million in revenue and stayed at a million in revenue. They finally relented, changed their name to a much bigger name along the lines of world domination PR. Their revenue went up 350% in one year. And why did it go up? Because right. everyone wanted to work for world, world domination PR as opposed to, and that's not the real name. I'm just giving that as an example. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but they were able to get partners in. They were able to get more talent. The CEO didn't have to work 100 hours a week anymore, et cetera. Yeah. So if people are not willing to understand that story and get their ego out of the way and stop saying, well, what about Charles Schwab? His name's on the company. Yeah, he also worked his butt off for 60 years. Yeah, And it would have yeah. been a hell of a lot easier <laughs> if it was USA Brokerage. Yeah. So uh, anyway, having said that, I would, if I'm a house flipper, create a holding company name and have each one be an LLC underneath as you, I got in you. answer to your question. Yeah. So there is some, there is some separation of, of this risk. It's just, well, there's a holding company, a parent company that has subordinates underneath it, basically. Yeah. And think about it this way too, Mike, if you're getting audited by the IRS, wouldn't you rather have them audit an entity instead of you personally? Oh yeah, for so sure. That's, that's another thing that people don't think about. Yep. Totally. I, I don't disagree with that at all. Um, Let's go back for a minute. I want to talk about value-based decision-making because you did throw that out there and said we can, we can hit on that a little bit more. I mean, I think intuitively, I get it. It's sort of self-explanatory, but can you elaborate a little bit on what that means and why it's important for people? 
Yeah, so I wrote a book on it. It's called Who's in Your Room? It's the orange one. But basically, every de- every decision I made in my life and every decision you made, Mike, in your life that was not aligned with your values had a high probability of going against the grain and causing issues. Yep. Uh, I decided to hire a president a long time ago, 20 years ago, and everybody said, that's the wrong president. He's, he's just not aligned with your values. And I knew that. But what do you say when someone comes into your life that's not aligned with your values? You justify it. You say, but I'm going to make so much money. Yeah. And yeah, I got involved in a lawsuit that cost me over $10 million because of that person. And so uh, I often say that your gut, G-U-T, is God uttering truth. And your gut is your value screaming out. So what's important about the story? Values-based decision-making presupposes that you sat down for a weekend and you wrote out your values, which are really your DNA and what, how you want to live your life. And I believe everybody has a unique list of values that they're born with. Yep. And th- but you have to write them out and you have to use them to make decisions. And even to this day, at the age of 58, I bump into situations where I'm like, but, 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 and my wife will say, you're not violating your values. And life is so much easier when every decision you make is aligned with your pre-stated values. Yeah. And three of my top pre-stated values are simplicity, probability, and leverage. And people say, well, is that more important than family? And for me, it is. Because if I didn't have simplicity, for example, as my value, I wouldn't be home for dinner every night. Because my business life can get complicated. Yeah. But it's the value of simplicity that says I'm not missing date night every Monday night for 15 years with my wife at 730. I'm not missing family dinner at six o'clock. I'm not missing a workout. And as a result of simplicity as one of my values, it allows me to do those other important things in life. I like that. And I, I've had the similar experience. I've hired people because they were absolute killers on paper. Their resume and their background made them absolutely just unbelievable, but their values weren't aligned and they ended up being kind of a, a, a poison in my company. And they, and they sort of poisoned the atmosphere and the culture that I had in my company. So I, I completely get that. I want to talk about you kind of casually again throughout there. I uh, spent some time with Richard Branson. How, how first of all, I, I want to know why you interviewed billionaires, but that seems self-evident. I want to know more importantly, how did you interview billionaires? Because as someone who's been interviewing folks for about seven, eight years now, I know how hard it can be to get on the schedule or get in front of people like a Richard Branson billionaires. How do you, how, why did they talk to you? So it was a 10-year project that started in 07 and went to 2017. And it all started when I got this call uh, in early 2007 from a friend of mine who said, uh, we want to beat New York in raising money for Rudy Giuliani to be president. And at the time, Rudy Giuliani was uh, 20 points ahead of McCain. Seems like a long time ago. <laughs> so I, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I was asked because I had a lot of relationships to be on the committee and we ended up raising a ton of money. And one of the people on the committee with me was this incredibly connected guy, uh, T. Boone Pickens. And T. Boone Pickens said, whoever on this committee raises the most money, I'm going to invite you to my ranch, which happened to be, be bigger than the state of Rhode Island. So uh, me and Joe won, my friend who introduced me to the committee, and we went. 
And it's a funny story in and of itself because uh, his secretary, who had been his secretary for 40 years, said, you know, Boone's waiting for you at the airport. You guys aren't there. And uh, we're like, where is he? What gate? And they're like, she she didn't say this, but it was like knucklehead. He's at the private airport, uh, <laughs> not the public airport. <laughs> so it was fascinating to spend three days with T. Boone Pickens. And in his house, which was on uh, Mesa Vista, he died a couple of years ago, but um, he literally had a picture. And me and Joe were walking around the house going, we couldn't even think of somebody that wasn't on the wall of his house. The guy was with every president and every famous person who had visited him in the same room we were at. But the power the guy had, he gets on the phone and he's uh, watching the, the news on TV and yelling at somebody. And he's like, come on, W. And I'm thinking, who the hell is he talking to? He's, and he, he, hung, he hung up and he literally was yelling at the president of the United States. And it was just mind blowing. So as a result of that, I said, I put out to the universe, I want to meet and spend time with, I didn't just interview him. Like I spent time with it. It had to be like I was in their house overnight. All of these were deep relationships. And so, uh, I was on the board of this charity in Dallas that did big events. And one of the ideas they have was let's, uh, have lunch with a billionaire. So they got on the phones and they got all these billionaires to, uh, donate lunch. And so, when they did that, I said, I just want to meet all of them. And so it was really cool uh, people that were on the list, people like Craig Hall and Phil Romano and Ross Perot. And um, I can't even think of it right now, but just yeah. there was seven. And I said, yeah. I'm just going to buy them all. And it was like 500 bucks each. Yeah, It was crazy cheap. And that got me to like nine or 10. And then as a result of that, uh, it just led to more and more and more and then through a series of uh, things. But the Branson was interesting. A friend of mine calls me and says, you know, uh, Necker Island is kind of empty most of the time. What if they started hosting entrepreneurs that uh, go there for a week? And I'm like, that's a phenomenal idea. And it took forever to try to get Branson on the phone. He never would get on the phone ever, but his assistant assured us that if we – came with 10 entrepreneurs who bought the island for a week, he would spend the week with us. And there was no way to confirm this. It was May of 2008. But I have a big network. So I sponsored this program called, uh, I'm part of this program called uh, Gathering of Titans. And we meet at MIT and there's 80 of us. So I sent the word. I said, listen, if you want to pay for it, we're going to buy the whole island. It's, uh, we can fit 20 people. It's a million bucks. And it's 50000 ahead. But I promise you'll spend the whole week with Richard Branson. And they're like, come on. Well, long story short, which I don't have time for it right now, Branson was going through a really rough time at the time. And literally, we had these uh, brainstorming meetings for like six hours a day. And Branson said to us, I had never one time in my career ever thought there would be a benefit to talk to peers and other entrepreneurs. I only ever talked to my employees. So we completely wow. shifted the guy. And now I'm told, I did that four years in a row. Uh, and one week I went with him to South Africa, which is a whole nother story. But uh, his whole island now is bought up week by week by week by entrepreneurs because wow. it was beneficial to him. It was beneficial to them. Yeah. And I, the last time I did it, I did eight, nine, 10, and 11. So those four years. And I'm talking about, you know, there's no, at the time, no communications. It wasn't like, like it is now. 
at the time, I don't even think he had a cell phone, if I remember correctly. He got a cell phone the last year. Um, because it's like, why do I need a cell phone? If somebody wants to talk to me, they just come to my island, uh, <laughs> which is pretty cool. So that, you know, and through Branson, I met more. And it's just like, you know, what I found is when you go into and you ask the question, how do you meet these people? Mm-hmm. I, the answer is you provide value. Yeah. What I learned with these people is they needed a relationship with me as much as I needed one with them because it was just a values exchange. I didn't want anything from them. Yeah. Um, and I made that really clear. And it was so weird with Branson. I'm not Branson. Uh, I'm just thinking to the first guy, Boone Pickens. He had four kids, but they weren't close. And he embraced me like a son. It was almost uncomfortable mm. how close we got. And just a real giving, loving man. And I uh, spent a lot of time with him. Wow, that's incredible. And the great the great takeaway here is, listen, you may not be looking to spend time with a billionaire if you're listening to this. You might be trying to sit down with an entrepreneur in your local market who you think has a lot of you know knowledge and experience that you could really benefit from. And the takeaway here is provide value. Like, don't just say, "Hey, can can I talk to you and pick your brain? I want to know how to do whatever." Right? Like, find a way to provide value and find an in that makes sense for them because that doesn't make sense for them. Anybody who's got a level of success or whatever, they're busy. They have priorities. Maybe you know, family. Like, they want to be home by five to go to dinner. Like, they have things going on. You can't just lead with what you want from them. And I think that's that's awesome that you said that. Uh, you know, provide value and people will, will tend to give you their time. So that's, well, think, that's a great. Yeah. Think how it started though. It started with just being on a committee and, uh, you know, he, his pick for president was, uh, Rudy Giuliani and we helped him. We helped him raise money. It didn't work out for Rudy, but it was really interesting. I got to see the highest levels of government and fundraising. And my wife and I had a, uh, Rudy Giuliani dinner at her house and all this nonsense, which, it is a dirty world. I'll just tell you that. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm glad I got that experience relatively early. <laughs> That's funny. Tell me about the 100-year savings solution. I know this is something that you're passionate about. Can you tell folks what that stands for, what it means, and, and how they can maybe, you know, how, how should this relate to them? Yeah, so it's very rare to find somebody that thinks long-term. And long-term thinking in my view, if you're the right, if you have uh, values around long-term thinking, it informs what you do today. So as an example, if you want to be married for 50 years, um, what I would do is create a vision. My wife and I have it of, you know, where we're going to be when we're 85 and, you know, what is our life like? And we're sipping tea and this, you know, it's snowing outside and our great grandchildren are running around. Yep. Um, but long-term thinking informs what you do today. So as an example, if I want to be married for 50 years, I wouldn't cheat on my wife. And the other thing is long-term thinking causes you to not run for the exit. So a lot of marriages are not built on a solid long-term foundation. So they have a fight and they're running for the exits. Right. But but think about long-term thinking in terms of health. If you want to live to be 110, you're not going to get fat and you know eat crap and do drugs all day. So yep. it informs what you do today. And long-term thinking in terms of wealth building, you know, you, if you follow somebody around with a video camera from the time they wake up in the morning to the time they go to bed at night, what are they doing with their time? And the vast majority of us waste about 80% of our day. Yeah. It just makes me cry to see that 43 hours a week is the average time that Americans watch TV. So for me, mm. I think about everything in terms of long-term, but the long-term 100-year real estate investor under the brand www.100yearrei.com, 100-year real estate investor, 
is if you are a long-term investor, what are you doing today? Right. And a long time ago, a friend of mine uh, who has an insurance agency turned me on to dividend paying, which is very rare, dividend paying whole life insurance. Yep. And I started buying it and I have 11 policies now. But it led me to partner with this insurance agency and we created the brand 100-Year Real Estate Investor. And the thing I love about it is it keeps people focused on the long term. If you're going to buy an asset like a piece of real estate, you're going to put 50000 in it. Now you have one asset. It went from 50000 in your bank to 50000 in this one asset. Mm-hmm. But with this particular product that we specially designed, that money goes into the policy first, and then you borrow against the policy and buy the asset. Now you have two assets. You do have debt, but you have two assets, and it's a way to leverage. So I think that my fascination with this product since 2005 um, fits perfectly in the values of simplicity, probability, and leverage. It's simple because I just explained it in about a minute and a half. Probability is... I just created two assets from one. And since the companies we use have not missed a dividend since the Civil War, or depending on how old the company is, there's never been a miss on dividends. You know, there's a high probability that you're going to you know, create yeah. more wealth this way because instead of having one asset, you have two. And then leverage, I just showed you how you can leverage your assets. You could learn more about it by just going to 100yearrei.com. But that's just an example in real life of what we do. But the funny thing about this story that I just told you is just only a small percentage of the population that would even think that there's value in what I just said because they're yeah. too busy you know, watching porn and addicted to social media <laughs> and yeah. news and video games and all that crap. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just not you know, the, the life I want to lead. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that long-term thinking is, it, I mean, you just articulated it, but it makes sense in life. It makes sense in business. People who are very... The, the problem with think, not thinking long-term, if we look at the other side of it, when you think very transactionally, like what is this one inter- interaction, this one exchange going to do for me right now? Again, like you said, people tend to make... You'll make a different decision, maybe if you're thinking transactionally and you're only thinking five minutes into the future, then you will. If you look at every relationship and every interaction, like it's a building block. It's something that I'm, I'm building. It's a relationship that could be great down the road. Like you would, you would act differently. Right. Um, so I think that's super important. I, I love that, that message. And just so people know, uh, I want to re- repeat one more time. The, the website It's 100 year rei.com. Go there and check it out. Also, you mentioned your book, Who's in your room? You you yep. talked about what that's about a little bit. I, I think that that's awesome. I think people should go check it out. Can I get it on Amazon, or do they need to go somewhere else, or is that no, can I go to Amazon? Amazon actually was a bestseller, and it's been translated to three languages. But uh, the the tagline is "Who you surround yourself with will determine your destiny." Nice. I love it. I love the message too. Rick, man, thanks for doing this. This was absolutely informative and super inspirational. Exactly like I knew it would be because I had a, the, the pleasure of getting to meet you before when I was on your show. Thanks for doing this. Uh, if people want to reach out to you and learn more, should they go to the website 100YearREI uh, or is there a better place for them to find you? That's the best place to go. Yeah, and yeah. There's an info button there to contact awesome. us. 
Awesome. Guys, go check it out. Rick, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your knowledge. I, I can't even imagine... Like We could probably have a whole show about the, the all the billionaire interviews and what you learned. And I, I'm fascinated by that too. So maybe I'll have you back and we'll just dive into the lessons learned with those guys. But thanks for your time today. I appreciate it very much. And uh, we'll be talking to you soon. You're very welcome, Mike. All right. Thank you. Okay, guys. Long-term thinking, value-based decision-making. This is a guy who clearly has talked to some of the best of the best investors and business minds in the world, in the history of the world for that matter. So take his advice to heart, but go out there and do something with it. Don't just listen and move on to the next one, right? I want you to listen to all my episodes for sure, but not in lieu of taking action. So get out there and take action. Use your values as a guiding light and think long term. That's the takeaways from this podcast for me. All right, guys, get out there and make it happen.